Coming up this week on the Single Seater Space podcast. Horner apologising to Max Verstappen that his own teammate had got lucky. Are you not really embarrassed? As much as I do hope uh, something happens, I remember my three words last year being overhyped Miami, undelivered. IndyCar, we have... We had a two-stop versus a three-stop this weekend. We had tyre strategies, 175 overtakes. If you're not watching this, what are you doing? Remember, you can catch all of our content on our website, singleseaterspace.co.uk, or you can find us on social media using the at singleseaterspace. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Single Seater Space podcast. After a not very thrilling Azerbaijan Grand Prix and a thrilling IndyCar Grand Prix of Alabama, we are back for another episode on a Thursday. Myself, James Scott, joined by Single Seater Space's Formula E and Formula One writer Taryn Glazebrook, here to discuss all things open-wheeled racing and... um, Funny enough, we probably won't spend too much time on the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, but as we do every week, we'll start with how our previous week's predictions fared for uh, this race. And this weekend, we played the game, not how many seconds Max Verstappen would win by, but how many points Max Verstappen would get, because it was a sprint weekend, so we thought we'd spice it up a bit. And uh, it's safe to say our predictions went badly. Um, Taryn, how how do you think your uh, predictions went? And um, you know, looking at our single seater space podcast leaderboard, where do you think that uh, that sits yourself at the moment? Um, not too well, James. I think I predicted that the sprint race would uh, produce something, and um, whilst I did predict predict that uh, Max Verstappen would have a little collision that would end his race, uh, the collision that he had didn't really end his race. So. Um, yeah, I uh, didn't do very well, and I think I predicted that something would happen in the main race. Um, something didn't happen. Literally nothing happened, apart from De Vries hitting a wall. I predicted Verstappen would finish in P3 or something uh, in a fight back through the field, and he ended up, uh, in actuality, finishing in P2. So, um, yeah, uh, it's a pretty big snooze fest. Um, but I think one thing to, co- to talk about is in that sprint race... Uh, Verstappen and George Russell having a little bit of contact together and um, having a little talk in the in the in the in the pit lane afterwards. Um, pretty spicy. Uh, Verstappen using his own words to describe George there. Um, and uh, yeah, I think whenever I think about Max Verstappen and uh, how he's kind of uh, growing up a little bit and uh, developing in the sport, he then does stuff like this. It was a racing incident, Max. Literally, you have pulled off worse moves in your whole Formula 1 career. Do I need to name any? I don't think so. I'll name some anyway. 2018 China, you, your little dive bomb on Seb Vettel, which literally took both of you out. Um, do I need to name more? I don't think so. Um, I'm a little bit annoyed. The end of the 2021 season? Uh, the, the whole 2021 season. Name the whole 2021 season. Thank you very much. Um, look. I, I've never said I dislike Verstappen, right? I want to put that out there. Verstappen fans, don't kill me. Um, look, he, I respect him fully, right? I, I think he's a brilliant driver. He is a ridiculously fast driver. But, Max, just be quiet, mate. Genuinely, you are probably the last person who could really talk. Um, yeah, uh, what did you think about that little uh, kerfuffle? Well, it was it, it was it was interesting, wasn't it? Um, uh, my prediction was that Verstappen would win the sprint race and finish second in the main race. I was pretty close. I, I was very very close indeed. I got twenty five out of twenty seven points. 
um, as, I, as, I, as I said. So um, I'm going to give myself a point for that on the predictions tally as we quickly just round that little bit off. Uh, to so I've so I've taken the lead at two one in the predictions before we got on to our IndyCar predictions, but they went very badly. So I'm taking the lead for this week in two one. But yes, as you say, Max Verstappen um, giving it back after racing like he has done throughout his entire career. Um, it's ironic, uh, certainly. Um, I get he's he's right to be frustrated, but these things happen on a racing track. Russell went to apologise, and you know suddenly he didn't need sort of World War Three coming at him. Um, it was over the top, and as you say, the times then you look and think, oh, Max Verstappen's perhaps a more mature driver. Uh, he kind of shows the opposite. Um, certainly, I think Damon Hill said something like, well, if, that, if it was Lewis Hamilton in that situation when he had the dominant car, he would often back out knowing that he could just get them back because there was no denying that Red Bull wasn't much faster than the Mercedes. They were lapping about a second of faster per lap, every lap. Um, and so, you know, it was... It was it was inevitable that he was going to get him back. Superior straight line speed, superior through the corners. Um, so certainly, it definitely shows immaturity, arrogance. Maybe you could argue. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was needless to be honest. Um, so yeah, it got spicy between Verstappen and Russell. And then you know the other main talking points because there weren't very many this weekend. I guess we have got three talking points. We got per, um, we got Perez. Could he possibly win the championship? I'm going to say no. Max Verstappen's radio after the race was Christian Horner apologising to Max Verstappen that his own teammate had got lucky. I would understand if a Ferrari had won the race and they'd gone, yep, you know, Leclerc got lucky with the safety car. But no, they said Perez got lucky with the safety car. Are you not really embarrassed to be saying that to your own driver about his teammate? That is so embarrassing. The the institution is unbelievable at Red Bull. So, you know, they, they uh, we're talking about, is there going to be a title fight this year? There will not be a title fight this year. That's just, I'm going to say it. And th that's just how it is, certainly. So uh, now that has nicely moved on. Um, we can talk about Ferrari getting two pole positions. We said that they had to step up this weekend. And actually, Leclerc did a brilliant job. Um, what did you think? Yeah, it was a brilliant performance by Charles as well. I mean, just while we're talking about Red Bull uh, doing a bit of strategy work, um, in that thing, uh, when um, so when they talk about Perez uh, taking advantage of a safety car, guys, the freeze had already crashed and you had yellow flags out, which were definitely going to bring out a safety car. It was on the exit of turn six, I believe, where there's literally minimal runoff area, so you have to bring out a safety car if you're going to bring marshals onto a track, right? It happened. You'd waited for like 30 seconds and we just had yellow flags and we're expecting it, a safety car to come out any second. And you just think, oh yeah, we're just going to pit Verstappen in. You know, we're going to get his pit stop done. Um, yeah, you mate, you literally just handed the win to Perez. Like, I don't think I don't think I need to say any more on that. Red Bull going prime IndyCar. Yeah, Re Re Red Bull pulling off Ferrari strategist moves. Anyway, um, I think uh, Charles Leclerc did an absolutely brilliant job this weekend. Um, I think it was he outqualified his teammate signs by eight tenths of a second. I think in uh, for the qualifying for the main race, absolutely ridiculous effort by Charles Leclerc. And um, to be honest, I think he I think he did all he could in that Ferrari. It was quite obvious once uh, you brought in DRS and race pace that Ferrari were always going to kind of drop back behind Red Bull. So all there was all there was for Charles was P3. He got P2 in the sprint race pretty brilliantly. And uh, in the main race, uh, he finished, I think it was about 20 seconds behind. 
both the Red Bulls because Red Bull straight line speed, um, ridiculous. I don't think I need to say anymore. 29 kilometer differential um, as Perez overtook Leclerc. Um, casual Carlos Sainz disaster class as well this weekend. I mean, Hamilton was far quicker than him, but if these cars weren't awful at overtaking each other, which I guess is the penultimate point that we have for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, other than, I mean, we could say Nick de Vries disaster class, but, you know, there's only so much that can be said about that. There really was so little action this weekend um, that, uh, yeah, we got to talk about the fact that there were 18 overtakes in the sprint and 13 overtakes in the main race with a 2.2 kilometre straight and cars that should follow easier through the corners. How can we have racing this bad? Esteban Ocon did not change tyres until lap 52 of 53, as we'll get on to with that old debacle. But nobody could pass him. They were just banking on a safety car or a red flag. Nobody could pass him. It was unbelievable. And as I say, 2.2 kilometres worth of straight from turn 16 down to turn 1. And nobody could get anywhere near. I mean, Hamilton would get about four, five tenths, maybe five and a half tenths behind Sainz with a toe. For 2.2k, and we couldn't get anywhere near, these cars are really, really not good at racing. Even the Snooze Fest of 2016 had 80 overtakes. Sergio Perez went from 7th to 2nd, and I know that Force India was rapid in a straight line, but even then, we had good drives. I genuinely don't think any driver made up like a big number of positions this weekend, and even so, they were for minor spots. Like, um, you know, it was not... A good weekend at all. Um, yeah, what did you think of the 13 overtakes? What 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 can we put that down to? I think it was in the sprint race. The best fight was uh, for P14. You had like a four-way scrap or something like that for P14 after Yuki Tsunoda's little incident on lap one and uh, Logan Sargent couldn't uh, go in the sprint race because he crashed in qualifying. But... <laughs> Yeah, I love it. The best the best fighting for positions we had in that sprint race were for P14. And um, even in the main race, uh, literally, I, I think, um, well, I might have gone to sleep at some point, I don't know, um, <laughs> to just hear, um, I think it was Ted, celebrate a move for P10 when Norris overtook Hulkenberg. And we were just like, oh my god, we saw some action. Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty dreadful. I don't know if it was I don't know if shortening the DRS zone on that main straight really kind of made a difference. It might have done. Who knows? Um, yeah, I mean, you don't know anything before you've tried it, I guess. But um, pretty, pretty dreadful. And um, yeah, as I go on to the point I I woke up on, we had that little pit lane thing. Um, FIA clown moment or general organization, well, mistake. It's a bit of both, isn't it? I mean, they, they, they summoned FIA representatives into the uh, stewards room because it's not the first time this season that we've had humans on the track before the race has finished. We had it in uh, Australia as well. They had the track invasion as the cars were doing their uh, cool-down lap after the 100-metre uh, dash to the line after the uh, last restart safety car confusion bit. Um, it's not good. It really is not good. We are going to have a serious incident at some point, and it will not go down well. Um, we, you know, we had the marshal on the track with Sainz's car in Japan, and they put the tractor on the track, 
Um, and after, you know, Bianchi's incident in 2014, it was Alonso that said that, you know, the drivers came together and said, this will not happen again. And it nearly happened again. And we had people on the track in Australia in 2022. When Albon was making his last pit stop, there were people in the pit lane. So what did they do? It happened again. Like, it should not be. Everybody knows that the cars must pit once in the race. Final lap pit stops aren't that uncommon. People make tyre changes, you know, tyre might not get to the end, it might explode for safety reasons. You're making your mandatory pit stop on the last lap because you've run a very long stint or something. And it's really not been a good advert for Formula 1 or for safety um, at all. Uh, I think that's all that needs to be said, really. Uh, They really... They they really, really are being so lax that it, it's going to take something huge for them to sort of wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, I mean, we live in an age where we're always talking about safety. I mean, just as I'm talking about safety, uh, that Formula 2 sprint race, um, especially after the safety car came in and we had that little uh, sprint race to the finish, uh, we had uh, Jeruvla and I think it was Victor Mart- Martin. Um, so Martin's crashed into the wall and then Jeruvla literally went underneath him and uh i think we also saw another life being saved by the halo but um you know straight after that we're like uh we're celebrating uh how how great the halo is um uh kind of one of the best safety protection devices that f1 has implemented and then they go and do this like i i just i don't know i don't know anymore um the fia keeps on kind of I'd have ran to, I've had a rant to them so much, but I, I just don't think it's going to do much. Um, you've got stuff to learn, guys. Um, just please, just learn. I'm so done. Well, it's like they try and regulate the things that they can't control and they don't keep control of the things that they can. Uh, that's the way that I, you can't control, you know, some accidents are freak accidents, but you do everything that you can to prevent them. That's what they're doing. There are just some points that you cannot control. No, they are deliberately not i can't say deliberately but consistently somehow seeming to fail to do the things that they can control properly and it really is going to take something like i know i i I, they can control these things for not happening and they keep happening uh and it's not good so you know before before i go mad just take a deep breath in. We're going to talk about some actual racing that happened this weekend. Because the IndyCar series raced at the Children's of Alabama Grand Prix, Barber Motorsports Park. One of the toughest tracks of the season to overtake at in an IndyCar. And we had an awesome race. It wasn't a classic. We might not be talking about it in 10 years' time. But it was a great race. It was a race that you could happily sit down and rewatch again and again because lots of things happened. Um, to give you an idea of what happened, we had 175 overtakes. We had strategic battles which played out right until the last lap. Uh, we had very little contact on the track, which some people like crashes. I, I don't think they add you know, very much. They cause safety car periods, which add intrigue. But we actually had safety car period in this one. Uh, for sort of a very kind of innocent reason. Stingray Rob just lost power um, in a safe place. And it actually made the race a little more interesting, perhaps. Uh, helped some of the three stoppers, as we'll, as we'll get on to. But um, 
It was a very good race. Scott McLaughlin and Roman Grosjean gave us a fantastic duel, meaning that now we've had not only four different winners in the first four IndyCar races, but four different teams have won the first four IndyCar races. And uh, as I, I, I saw on uh, as I saw on the internet, someone was saying, um, with IndyCar, we have no idea how this championship is going to shape up, shake up with fifteen points separating the top five drivers in the championship. And whereas in the F1, things to look out for: keep an eye on the lower midfield battle. Um, you know, it just shows that for pure racing, IndyCar cannot be topped. Um, we'll start again with our predictions, as we've just given a little sort of race summary. Um, they went badly. I predicted that Scott McLaughlin would be on pole, and he won the race. And I predicted that Joseph Newgarden would win the race. And actually, he was in a very good position to do so. But then he, uh, his contact on lap one with Felix Rosenquist bent a suspension arm, and then actually, unfortunately, he just slid back and finished 15th. But uh, Taron's predictions went badly. Um, Taron, how did they go? Um, depressingly. I, I, don't, I don't know that there's like another word for it. Um, so I predicted Pato Awards would get pole. He got P3 in qualifying pretty well. Um, I predicted Grosjean would win. Um, so um, my guy, right, he got he got a brilliant pole position. Uh, his second pole position of the year after getting one in St. Pete. Um, he led for, ba I'm going to say he basically led for the whole race. He led 57 laps. Um, and then he bottled it with, I think it was like 19 laps to go or something. Um, sending me into kind of in a rage of sorts. I thought I was going to get something right in this IndyCar se series for what's se this IndyCar season for once. And um, no, uh, my guy just, uh, he thought, I, I don't know what, I don't know why it happened, but uh, I broke himself into that turn five hairpin, uh, literally handing the win to Scott McLaughlin on a plate. Like, uh, I don't really know how else to put it. Uh, yeah. The worst part about all of that is that he worked so hard to get into the lead. If you haven't seen his overtake around the outside of the fine the outside of the penultimate corner before tucking in to the inside for the last corner, you need to go and watch it because it was some move. Um, but certainly, yes, he was looking in a really good spot to win and he just went too deep on the brakes. And in the end, I actually think McLaughlin would have caught him um, as much as he did, as you say, no, you know, throw away the lead. I don't think he'd have been able to uh, withstand the attack that Scott McLaughlin was, um, was, was putting on him uh, in that scenario. Um, the other predictions that we had, we had some surprise of the weekend predictions that we like to have with IndyCar because we actually get surprises in IndyCar. You know, um, we don't really have those in Formula One. They're not so exciting, but we get surprises in IndyCar. And Taron said that Ed Carpenter Racing would have a better weekend. And I said that Chip Ganassi Racing would not have a driver finish in the top five. I was really, 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 really close to getting that right, because Alex Pelot finished 5th, the leading Ganassi car, as they finished 5th, 7th, 10th, and 11th. Um, we'll get on to sort of a bit more about the championship, and, you know, Ganassi are one of the powerhouses, and Ericsson still leads the championship, but their floor last season is the natural terrain road courses. They required on individual bits of driver brilliance to get them results on the road courses last year, rather than having a good package that meant that they were, you know, sort of comprehensively doing well. Certainly Penske still have the upper hand on the road courses. Um, McLaughlin was the winner. Uh, but, you know, we look at individual performances that happened last year. Scott Dixon finished third at Portland from 16th with a 
fantastic drive. Ericsson finished second at Road America, came from the back to finish fourth in the Indy GP as well. So, you know, that Penske-Ganassi fight that's mainly the championship fight, with a bit of McLaren and Andretti sprinkled in there. We'll get into Andretti's resurgence because it's been really impressive. Um, Ganassi really need to sort their road course form out, uh, and, and they haven't. And I was very close to my prediction. Um, so I still need the predictions ladder 2-1, as Taran will now explain why Ed Carpenter Racing did not revive their season at the Children's of Alabama Grand Prix. Personally, I think I deserve a pity point just because... Uh, I had a very depressing Sunday. But anyway, um, yeah, as, as, as uh, you know, James was saying, I predicted uh, Ed Carpenter Racing would uh, recover. Um, on Saturday, it looks like it was on, I think. You know, VK, v, Renus VK was certainly doing his job after getting pole position um, at Barber Motorsport Park last year. He he did do a relatively okay job um, getting into that fast 12. Um, uh, I don't think I saw Connor Daly anywhere. Um, he was just, he was just kind of nowhere. Um, so I was kind of banking, banking that Rena's VK would, uh, do, do some magic. And, um, he was running in the top 10 for a fair bit. Uh, but that was only at the start. He then fell like an absolute stone and finished in P16. So, um, yeah, it, it's certainly, um, I had high hopes and they got dashed. Um, and certainly after Grosjean went, there wasn't really much more that my predictions, there wasn't much more that I could really look forward to. Um, but yeah. They really need a strong month of May. Uh, they are normally strong at the Indy 500. I mean, they had uh, VK and Carpenter qualified third and fourth last year uh, before VK crashed out and uh, Carpenter had a little bit of a problem, but they are always strong. I mean, VK qualified third again, 2021. Carpenter finished that race in fifth. Uh, VK won the Indy GP, the GMR Grand Prix uh, in 2021 producing one of the most awesome IndyCar photos of all time uh, in Victory Lane, where he was it's the most perfectly framed photo um, in the world, if you've never seen it. Uh, so they really need a strong month. Um, but yes, you, you did not have a good time this weekend. But, you know, a team that has had a much better time of it this year is Andretti Autosport. They had a terrible 2022 season. Uh, they were massively underwhelming. Um, but... They've been very, very strong this year. I know strong hasn't always meant results, but on all three types of track, they've been up there. They've been consistently up there and they've been looking strong. Um, do you think this is the year where an Andretti or a McLaren breaks the Penske and Ganassi grip on the Aster Cup that has been held since 2012? Ryan Hunter Ray, the last non-Penske or Ganassi to win the Aster Cup. I mean, it certainly looks like that. I mean, Pato Ward, uh, he's just three points behind Marcus Ericsson in the Drivers' Championship as we head into May. Um, I always talk about him, Roman Grosjean. He's, he's, been, he's been doing well this year. Um, of course, whilst not being able to get that win, which he certainly does deserve one. Um, he is He's just picking podium after podium. Uh, well, at least he's got two podiums in a row now. Um, Alex Pelot is quietly six points behind Pato Ward in the Championship. Um so it it does look like um, Andretti are certainly doing great, and so are McLaren. I think uh, McLaren this weekend were do were. It was it was it was a recovery weekend of sorts, uh, especially after Felix Rosenquist spun in, at turn one and he finished in P nine. A really great job. It was quiet but effective. I think that's how he describe it. 
Um, McLaren's weekend was, I mean, they finished, uh, O'Ward finished in the top five, and then they finished sort of eighth and ninth with the other two drivers. It was a quiet but effective weekend, and those are the ones that really make the difference in the IndyCar standings. Um, certainly now the top five in the championship separated by just 15 points as we head into the month of May, which is even more exciting than last year. And we thought last year was really good. You know, Ericsson leads the championship by just three points to O'Ward, Pelot in third, Grosjean, McLaughlin, Newgarden and Power, Will Power on the podium for the first time this season as well. Reigning champion, of course. Um, IndyCar, we have... We had a two-stop versus a three-stop this weekend. We had tyre strategies, 175 overtakes, a move around the outside of the final corner, moves around the inside of the final corner after moves from the penultimate corner. Great racing, you know, moves around the outside of the long penultimate corner before tucking into the final corner. If you're not watching this, what are you doing? Because in Formula 1, we had one strategy, medium to hard. We then had 13 overtakes. Nothing happened. Get on this championship because we're heading to the most exciting racing month of the year now. So we won't give our Indy GP predictions this week because we will do them next week. But we're going to do Indy 500 predictions because before we've seen any practice, you're going to lock in your Indy 500 pick. And this will be for triple points in the leaderboard series. All right. For triple points... Who is going to win the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500? You've, you've, you've literally chucked me a curveball. Um, because I have... Well, you can update your predictions not only before qualifying, but also after qualifying. Before qualifying, there'll be double points. And after qualifying, will just be one point. But for three points, who is going to win the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500? And I am going to put my money on... Scott McLaughlin. It's locked in. Right, my triple point pick is Scott McLaughlin. Ooh. I'm going to go for his Penske teammate, Joseph Newgarden. Newgarden to break the duck of the Indy 500 in his 12th attempt at it. Well, we're both relying then on Team Penske to actually show up this year because they haven't done so for a little while. But um, yeah, we've locked and loaded those predictions in then uh, for... 107th running as i say we'll do our indie gp predictions next week uh, and then we'll do our qualifying and double points predictions the week after and then after qualifying week before the race we will give our race predictions but yeah they're locked and loaded mclaughlin and Newgarden as james and taron's indy 500 champions uh so we've got two more bits and pieces to talk about the first one is the uh, miami grand prix which hasn't sold out it's never a good look. Um, and uh, we can do a couple more predictions there. Uh, c- could likely be a snooze fest. Um, it certainly was last year. Uh, the track is awkward, especially that chicane around the back of the swimming pool. It's awkward. Um, we could do a prediction of number of celebrities that blank Martin Brundle on the grid. That could be a great game. How many celebrities are going to blank Martin Brundle on the grid? That'd be a great game. Um, but no, uh, how many, uh, how many seconds does Max Verstappen win the uh, Miami Grand Prix by? I see him cruising. Uh, I'm going to say 20 seconds. Um, he, he just seems to perform around circuits like Miami just so well, especially compared to his teammate, Sergio Perez. I, th- I think he's going to cruise. Um, I, as much as I do hope, uh, something happens. I remember my three words last year being overhyped Miami undelivered. 
Um, and uh, well, um, I certainly do this. Do you think the same thing happening this year? And uh, Verstappen's going to cruise to a twenty-second win. Um, yeah, I don't really. Yeah. Well, I mean, if Perez wins this weekend, um, you know, do you think Red Bull swap the cars because Perez would take the lead of the championship by one point? I could fully see Christian Horner doing that as well, like prime two thousand and two Ferrari. Um, but yes, I, I do think that uh, it's not going to be a classic, but. Um, you know, we could be very wrong. Uh, and then um, and then the other two pieces to talk about was F1 Academy. We were looking forward to this. We've been looking forward to this all winter. Uh, but then not only did they not broadcast the races, we then found out that they had live coverage and commentary and like TV stuff all there. It was all filmed. It was all commentated on. But we couldn't watch it. And I've, I've heard it's to do with broadcast rights and stuff. But um, it's all, I don't want to say too much, but it's almost like they wanted to fail. There was, well, I've had a look at it. There was some very, very good racing. It was very close. The cars were very suited. They were able to pass. Austria is a great track for it to happen on. Um, it looks really good. I mean, Harry Benjamin does a great job on commentary. But why can't we see it live? Um, yeah. Uh, not a good weekend for Formula One broadcasting, really, at all. Especially as they were taking down on uh, the internet all the videos of the uh, Esteban Ocon pit incident as well. Um, certainly not their uh, finest moment. Um, so there's that. And then, shall we just preview a little bit Formula E in Monaco? Because uh, it will be the most exciting thing that goes to Monaco this weekend uh, in the next month or so with um, four wheels and an engine, uh, even if they do sound like hoovers. Um, how are your Monaco... Uh, pre thoughts. What do you what do you think is going to uh, happen? How are how are the nerves before the uh, jewel in the Formula E crown? Yeah, uh, we love a bit of Formula Scale Electric. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we head over to Monaco. It seems like uh, the only sport that can kind of pro like provide great racing around Monaco is Formula E. Um, especially last year, we had a brilliant time in Monaco. Uh, Lee changes. We had the lot. Um, and uh, certainly we come into this weekend with Envision Racing looking very strong. Jaguar powertrain cars looking very strong indeed. Um, of course, uh, like we, we, Jake Dennis will be looking to kind of find some luck, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I think uh, Stoffel van Dorn will also be thinking the same. Um, th th there is a lot that can happen this weekend. I think Pascal Verlein certainly will want to end his duck at not doing too well in the last few rounds um he's he had he had such a big points gap and now it's only at four points you know um certainly lots can happen this weekend and as james says this is the jewel in the formula e crown certainly since we have we have now gone to the full race circuit around monaco after that um pretty pathetic gen one track i, I I'm, I'm gonna say that right now that gen one track was actually pathetic um but that's me and that was because the cars couldn't get up the hill with the power <laughs> was that right it was something like that but um you know it did it did provide a pretty big um crash uh i i remember that happening um we had a big pile up um but uh yeah we we have a we have a brilliant circuit like Monaco. It's very familiar to all you F1 fans, F2 fans, whatever. Whatever fan you are, you recognise the Monaco track. And Formula E are there this weekend. And uh, certainly, uh, Formula E always provides action. Um, I'm just going to say that now. And I will predict that Envision Racing 
uh, will be strong. And Nick Casti will lead the Drivers' Championship at the end of this round. Um, I'm just going to p- point that out now. Ooh, some, again, Nick Cassidy. Uh, we seem to have a little bit of a uh, Nick Cassidy fanatic in the single-seater space team. Um, but yes, we have had some good racing this week, some bad racing this week. We will probably also have some good racing this week and some bad racing next week, uh, well, this weekend, um, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, of course, um, yeah, Formula 1 is really not the best championship to be watching at the moment. Certainly IndyCar and Formula E are delivering. In terms of pure racing, they're better. I know that Formula 1 has the market team from heaven because the the way that they're able to still market this after we've had four dreadful races in a row uh, is impressive. But um, maybe the bubble will pop at some point because, let's face it, there's only so many stinkers you can have before you realise that something is fundamentally wrong. And, um, you know, it's not like this hasn't happened before, but we, they found ways of resurrecting it. Uh, certainly Drive to Survive plus 2021 resurrected what was, you know, a pretty tired era in 2014 to 16 of mercedes dominance but you know there's only so much netflix you can you can you can have following you around before that bubble pops as well so uh yeah we'll see um any final thoughts taron on the uh world of racing this week and um what we might see yeah i mean uh i haven't said anything about f1 academy uh but yeah i mean we 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 said last week uh we had our rant and um uh, I definitely thought we could have like seven to ten minute highlights. We had three minutes, I think it was three minutes or something per race highlights. Race one looked absolutely spectacular. I think it was wet. I think it was dry to wet race. There was some rain at the end that for, that produced some absolute carnage. Um, I know Marta Garcia. She drove pretty brilliantly. She won two of the races. Amna Alcabaisi uh, won that second race pretty brilliantly. The two sisters did really well this weekend. Uh, Lena Bula finished P2 in race two. And uh, I think the big po- talking point was the fact that all the Carlin cars got disqualified in qualifying for a non-homologated part on their car, which uh, took away Abby Pulling's pole positions. Um, that certainly meant that she had to fight back. And I think she finished P4 or something in race one pretty brilliantly. But um, yeah, uh, just as we're talking about F1 Academy and the broadcasting stuff, it um, was really disheartening to kind of see the fact that they've set, they, they set up everything. But broadcasting rights, just go away. We want to see the racing. The fans want to see the racing. Um, broadcasting rights, you know, yeah, you know, it's the law. But still, we want to see the racing. So just get it sorted because... We had some brilliant races, but we couldn't see them. But, um, yeah, uh, I don't really think I want to say any more because I'll just go on a run. If I speak, I am in big trouble. In big, big trouble. And I don't want to be in big trouble. So uh, I think, yeah, we leave it there with that. Um, and, yeah, as you say, not only did Abby Pulling drive well, very well, but Jessica Edgar did the same. Her, her roading Carlin teammate, um, as, yes, they were all disqualified from that F1 Academy round. But that's all we've got in the world of Formula 1, Formula E, IndyCar and F1 Academy. Um, Some great racing, some bad racing, and plenty to talk about in between. Um, Miami and Monaco for Formula 1 and Formula E, respectively, this weekend. Um, Thank you to Taryn Glazebrook, single-seaters, Formula 1 and Formula E writer. And that'll be it from myself, James Scott, single-seater space, IndyCar writer too. And we will see you next Thursday. Goodbye.